The holidays are right upon us, and luckily you still have time to get your loved one or best friend that perfect gift. Become a gift-giving champion with Songfinch. They will use your favorite stories, memories, and feelings to craft a -a one-of-a-kind radio-quality song that makes a timeless gift. After all, every special occasion needs a soundtrack. They have personalized songs starting at $99 and delivered within a week. This is a unique way to say I love you, really, for any occasion, not just for the holidays. Birthdays, weddings, Mother's Day. There are two ways you can create your song. Either build from an existing foundation, where you can browse their pre-made song foundations and find the one that fits your style and occasion, or start from scratch. Select your mood, genre, and vocalist, and then Songfinch handpicks the perfect songwriter. Either way, you will receive a unique URL with a homepage on the website where you can listen to your song, share with family and friends, and read the lyrics. And if it isn't more than what you expected, you can feel free to reach out to them, and Songfinch will make it right. Best of all, our listeners get $20 off your personalized song from scratch. Just go to songfinch.com and use the promo code CLATCHERS. Give a gift that does more than check all the boxes. Undeniably personal, memorable, and something your loved ones can cherish forever. Remember that songfinch.com, promo code CLATCHERS, for $20 off your personalized song from scratch. Blink and you're dead. Don't turn your back. Don't look away. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big tiny white stuff. I don't want to go. The Coffee Class Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Doctor Who episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing the season finale, The Battle of Rantscore of Kolos. Good job. I only did it 30 times, but edited it <laughs> out. <laughs> uh, directed by Jamie Childs, who has done The Woman Who Fell to Earth, Demons of the Punjab, and It Takes You Away. And written by Chris Chibnall. On the planet of Ranskor of Kolos lies the remains of a brutal battlefield, but as Team TARDIS answer nine separate distress calls, they discover the planet holds far more secrets. Who is the mysterious commander with no memory? Who or what are the Ux? The answers will lead the team towards a deadly reckoning. IMDb is giving this a 6.7 and Rotten Tomatoes a 79%. Well, that's the lowest this year for Rotten Tomatoes. By far, before this, their lowest was an 87 for the Saranga conundrum. All around, the lowest ranked for the season, IMDb gave that a 6.2. You don't want to go out. You don't want to finish a season like this. Yeah, and just based off what we're reading, in general, they are not great reviews. People didn't hate the episode. In fact, there were elements we've been asking for all season long that they finally brought about here, which was wonderful. But what most are saying is it just wasn't handled properly. I'm going to give you a quote from Digital Spy that I think sums it up really well. Episode 10 is a perfectly decent episode. In fact, it boasts much of what's made this year's series great. Strong performances from the regular and guest cast, stunning cinematography matched with terrific location work, and a sublime score from Sagun Akinola. But nevertheless, it's tough to shake the feeling throughout there's something missing. A true sense of the epic that a grand finale really needs to set it over the top. Partially, that's a result of the more episodic style of storytelling this series has chosen to adopt. It's also arguably robbed of a sense of momentum this year. 
that failure to culminate on something larger in terms of a grand series arc wouldn't be such a big problem if the finale had a compelling narrative of its own. But like last week's It Takes You Away, this episode's enjoyable, but all a bit muddled, with too many ideas and concepts vying for your attention. I definitely agree with the too many ideas, because there's a lot of interesting plot points that they don't get to flesh out, and I feel like I'm saying that a lot this season. And that has to be a result of the episodic style. When you don't have the room to come back to characters and explore more, you have one episode to wrap everything up in a neat bow, and it's impossible, especially when you try to throw a bunch of things into the mix. Paltraki, our lost commander, the reappearance of Tim Shaw and his master plan to get revenge, the Ux, maybe my biggest problem. I am so excited by the idea of the Ux, probably in a bad way, because I want more explained, and I feel like we just don't get enough of them. They seem like a character where there could be so much behind their storyline. Are they the actual creators? Did they create all that we know? Or are they creators of a different kind? We don't know. What were they doing before they were hijacked by Tim Shaw? There's only two of them. That's a great twist on everything. But knowing how Chibnall's been writing this, we most likely will not meet them again. The only character to return this season is Tim Shaw. Now, frankly, he wasn't a favorite villain of mine. I didn't find him that interesting or complex. I don't mind bringing him back, though. I do love the little bit of cereal we're getting by tying in concepts we've dropped earlier on in the season, such as the TARDIS has telepathic circuits. We saw that it read Yaz's grandmother's watch in order to take them to the right place in Demons of the Punjab. They bring that back again so we can use it later. Don't really get how that concept worked out, but more on that later. We return a villain who we are emotionally connected to primarily because it was the episode we lost Grace. And she is our overarching emotional theme for the season. However, Tim Shaw wasn't really directly related in her death. I know he caused it. I know it happened because of everything they went through with him. Tell Graham that, all right, Missy? (laughs) But he didn't flat out kill her. It was a result of the electric coils that she fell off the ladder that she was climbing when they were battling Tim Shaw. In my mind, it's not like, oh, yeah. He's the guy that did it. We got to get revenge on him. But like you say, I think it works okay because in Graham's mind, he is responsible. He does want revenge. So we can go with that. If it was real life and I died, same way, when you saw Tim Shaw, you would relate it and say he's the reason. Maybe. But story-wise, I see what you're saying. Maybe, but it's been a lot of episodes between now and then. And that's another thing is just I feel like Graham has grown more than that. He came to a big realization last episode with It Takes You Away, Mm. confronting Grace face to face and realizing the reality of her death and the fact that he has to move forward for the sake of his current situation and his future with Ryan. That's progress. But now he takes a huge step back to, I'm stuck on bloodthirsty revenge this episode. I agree with you. It was very uncharacteristic of him, even if it was episode two. That's never the way that we learned Graham X. So that did bother me a lot, especially in that speech that he gives to the doctor. It's the first time where anyone says, just you and me, and you see how the group responded to that. They were like, okay, I guess we'll walk forward. This Mm -hmm. has never happened. We do everything together. Graham. But I think Chibnall thought he could get away with that because of last episode, because he reminded the viewers of how much Graham has gone through and how much he's lost and the fact that it's now fresh again. 
Yeah, but I feel like we're backstepping in the stages of grief for Graham. Yes, but I believe that's because he never allowed himself to go on any stages. Us as humans, we have to go through these stages in real life. Mm-hmm. After my father died, if I could get in a TARDIS and just go on adventures and never think about it. Denial. Denial. Stage one. You're never going to get that, right? Denial and avoidance. The minute you go back home, you're going to start reliving and you're going to go back to step one. And I think that's the result that we're seeing with Graham. Well, yeah, then you would move into anger. Anger and bargaining, which he is certainly doing here. And then eventually you start to move towards acceptance. I guess I felt like we were getting some acceptance last episode. And had this happened first, I can definitely buy it. It feels a little out of sequence for him. Mm. And the doctor's reaction to him also feels proportionally out of control. Like, Graham, get your shit together or you can't travel with us anymore. That's not really the doctor in the approach we've been seeing this season. It was a bit of a harsh line and I felt we were slightly damaging character development because of the rough writing. The ideas aren't bad. They're just not written well. And I'm sorry to say, but it's another Chris Chibnall written episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the episodes where we moved away from that, and I like him as a showrunner. I like some of the things he's choosing to do this series. But I don't think I like him, like him as an episode writer. Well, along the same lines, I believe that he's having trouble establishing the doctor's characteristics. It's been shoved down our throats. The doctor doesn't believe in killing. We've seen it from episode two on. So in this scene with Graham, she's totally against it. So keep that in your brain. Pack that to the side for a second. Then we have all the episodes where the doctor's so in touch with human emotions, apologizing. I know how you feel. Mm -hmm. This is my fault. I apologize. Put that on the side. And then you have the following scene right after this Graham one where she's saying, "Uh, yeah, this is a precaution. I can blow up buildings. I can blow up doors. Egregiously egregiously badly written scene. And I changed, I tend to change my mind sometimes. We'll come back to that. I'll read you a quote of what she says later. It was the ultimate low point for me because there's already a bit of confusion on what the doctor's creed is. That's a major part of establishing what type of doctor you will have for this incarnation. Mm -hmm. I thought along the way I was getting a handle on it. Yeah. A bit too hard of a line on the nonviolence and the non-killing To the point that we can't even kill the giant arachnid to put it out of its misery quickly. A more humane death involves something slow, but because we don't actually hold and shoot the gun. But if that's going to be her standpoint, stick with that. That's going to be her standpoint. You're speaking about all the other spiders being locked away in that room (laughs) with no food, nothing. They're not going to survive. Much like we do with Tim Shaw at the end of this episode. It's fine that we don't kill him. Let's lock him in a stasis machine Mm. where he slowly suffers for the rest of time like he was doing with his trophies for the rest of the stenza that we found so morally bankrupt to just stick people in that. But it's okay that we do that. I think Chibnall would... I think Chibnall, again, I think I've said this many times, would have had a better time if he wasn't so adamant about not involving the storyline that everyone knows and loves. We've seen the Doctor struggle before with death, with needing to, under certain circumstances, do something that maybe is considered a bad guy kind of move. If the Doctor, in the beginning of the season, established, I don't want anyone killing... I don't like guns. The doctor always says I don't like guns. Mm -hmm. So that would fit. And then 
in a clever way, not as straightforward as I'm saying right now, says, I've had trouble with that in the past, but I try to stick with this. And have her emotionally struggle with those decisions. Have her face those arachnids and feel conflicted. Mm -hmm. Show us that journey that she's going on. I don't want to do this. And yet, if I don't kill it, it's here suffering. What do I do about this? Have us see that because it makes a lot more sense. And by the time you get to an episode like this, you've created a real issue, not just for our companions, but the doctor herself. And that's how we connect with characters. Even though she is a superhuman alien (laughs) who's been through a lot, she still has her own problems. Right. And, and I don't think we really saw the doctor grapple with any of that this season. In fact, the only ones we really see emotionally grappling are Ryan and Graham. And let's be serious, mostly Graham. Yeah. Ryan is kind of supporting that journey. Poor Yaz. Ugh. Once again, she's been put in the corner. Gets shunted big time in this finale. I mean, is basically relegated to kind of following along after people. So there's a lot of stuff to explore. Like I say, there are some things that I really like. Okay, let's get to that because it's not all bad. I like the look and the overall idea of the Ux. This opening scene is tremendous. From the way they're performing the ritual just enough to get us interested, the background on the culture, it being faith-driven. Yeah them being dimensional engineers themselves, which we're going to talk about more in our spoiler section, is a great bit of connective tissue. The scarring that they have on their cheeks, we almost immediately know this is some type of spiritual or faith-centered practice. I love the introduction of one of our guest characters, my main man, Mark Addy, who plays Paltraki. I probably don't need to tell you this. He's been in a ton of things, but best known for Game of Thrones as Robert Baratheon. Here, he's the commander from Stebble who is sent to Ranskor by the Congress of Nine Planets in response to the atrocities being committed. He's one of these actors that he could pretty much get up there and read the phone book, and I'd be excited about it. I do think he was a bit underutilized here, but his depiction of trying to get a hold of his memories and the way that these psychological waves affected them was brilliant. Because that's a concept, too, that I don't think they went deep enough into. They brought it up and then kind of let it drop by the end of the episode. Yeah, I'd like to know what it is that's making their brain do that. Is it the machine they've made or is it the planet itself? Is it a safeguard so that no one else can visit or is it a side effect of their power? Yeah, and we don't get a lot of things specified about the UX. We do get an idea about that. They say that it's violent psychotropic waves in the atmosphere, seemingly... Because of the ox and how they build the planet, they talk about it being a shrine. And as we know, there's only three planets that we've seen this species exist on. Presumably, they're all shrines that they've created with this faith-driven dimensional engineering. Making it really unique and powerful, the doctor says she can almost feel waves of energy pulsating through the planet. Almost feels alive. Absolutely. So it makes sense. You know when you're near somebody that gives off a strong energy... And sometimes that impacts your own psychological, emotional well-being. Yeah, I can relate because most people around me feel that because, you know, I'm like a planet of emotions. And (laughs) No, you do put out that energy. I find that when you're in a good mood and I'm around you for a little while, I feel that and it affects my mood and vice (laughs) versa. So I was definitely picking up what they're putting down with that and needing to put measures in place to not be affected, these neural balancers. 
they drop that later, but we're not going to get there yet. Here with Mark Addy, I think Paltrocki shows that beautifully and trying to regain his memories, I like that. knowing there's a reason I was supposed to leave here. What is the reason? That's a Doctor Who type episode right there. They didn't have to put all that other stuff in there. That would have so much more levity. They could lean on that one storyline alone if they had arcs going on throughout this whole season that they could actually use as a foundation to lean that one thing Mm -hmm. on this episode. I I think it would have been perfect. Even later in this episode, have Yaz and the Doctor struggle with that, not just for a second, and they take the neural balancer back. Have them really deal with that. That's an enemy that is vague and a little difficult to define, but also very hard to combat because of that. And yeah, it's hard to combat because it's not an enemy that you can overtake. It's the, well, I guess side effects of yeah. the power of the ooks. You can't fight it. I, oh, by the way, I keep wanting to say ood. Ux. I know, ux. There we go. <laughs> it's because the way the doctor says it, she says ooks. She pronounces everything yeah. different than what we're used to. Well, let's come back to our characters, though, our new faces and places. So we have Paltraki. Cool name, too. Yes. We hear about this Congress of the Nine Planets, which also I wish we got more about. It sounds like a governing body that will act when you're in something really severe, like the UN. That's what I was going to say. That's how I pictured it in my head, the UN. And because they're receiving nine distress calls from the planet, I'm thinking each of the nine planets sent a ship, which we get reference to that. And when that didn't work out, Paltraki's team has to come. That's very cool. The last one, the last hope. We talked about the Ux a little bit to elaborate on that. They are a duo species, which means there are only ever two. From what we can infer, there is sort of a mentor teacher and then the younger student pupil within this dynamic. Yes. Christina and myself sat down and we talked about this. We were talking about how much we love the Ux. And we were trying to break down the whole storyline because they didn't give us too much. So there's one older one and one younger one. There's always only two. So the older one acts as the teacher, gives all the knowledge to the younger one for centuries. They live for millennia, millennia. actually. Yeah. And then when that one dies off, there's a new one. We don't know how they're born. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter. Maybe they're created. And then that student becomes the teacher. So that makes sense. I love that dichotomy. There's always an old one and always a young one. And I love that there's only two because they probably would be too powerful if there is a whole species of them. Makes sense. Not only that, they use this faith-driven dimensional engineering, which can affect the shape of the universe by thought. We said it would be cool to get a little more of this, such as what were they doing before they started to work for Tim Shaw? What was their idea of the creator that he was able to make them believe when he came here Mm -hmm. that he was the one? Okay, right off the bat, he appears teleporting out of nowhere. Maybe I might start to think that this is the destiny we've been promised. But over time... Wouldn't you realize? When he's convincing you to commit planetary genocide and tear down when you are a species built to create, how did he get them to buy that? I want to know that. Knowing how this season has gone, and there's a lot of social commentary and political commentary, this one would be a faith-driven commentary. So the first part of what you just talked about, the Ux is a faith-driven dimensional engineer that can affect the shape of the universe by thought. So if we try to break that down, maybe Chibnall's making a statement that if you have faith, you will have the power to shape your own universe by your thoughts your happiness, your loved ones, on and on and on. That's beautiful. That'd be nice. And I think his second commentary 
is the fact that we all know that there's been a lot of wars over the human species, over faith, over God. Religion, yeah. And how there's so many good things about having faith and being religious, but sometimes you can be blinded by your faith and not see what's in front of you as being bad. I think that you're right if you draw that out a little larger, not just religion, but yeah, faith in general, belief system, structure. We've seen that throughout multiple episodes in Demons of the Punjab. People are whipped up into a mob mentality, this group think of you belong to this race, I belong to that race, separate religions, dividing lines, and it turns them into something they're really not. A couple episodes ago, we got the witch finders. Very, very similar. We have to push back against evil and the devil, and this is how we're going to do that. This, though, he goes at it with a different approach that I wish was looked at a little more. It's almost like a cult. You've been waiting forever to meet your creator, a la Prometheus. And they go through all of this to find out where did we come from? Who built us? It's our destiny to find that out and to know our knowledge, our backstory, You can see these people responding in a similar way. They've been given this story over so many millennia. And now he appears, the Mm -hmm. creator. We're going to do whatever he tells us to do because he has the greater purpose, the greater mission that we don't know about, right? He knows better. So no matter what we're feeling, we have to follow. And, And that is very kind of cult mentality. But you have the, when it pushes up against your beliefs enough and goes against what you think is right, there we get Delph kind of stepping in at times saying, I really don't know if this is right. Is this what we're supposed to be doing? I saw that as uh, millennials or the youth saying, this is all wrong. Well, that too. And I'm not going to deal with this shit. <laughs> that too. So fascinating concepts that we only just get the tip of the iceberg there, but I do appreciate it. And something that humanity has seen over and over again. I mean, we were brought up Catholic, but we've seen some of the things that Catholicism has done way in the past. And what I would love to see, instead of Tim Shaw just vomiting exposition for 10 minutes at a time, restating stuff that we know, this is how I took over the universe. I combined the Stenza technology and the UX abilities. Mm -hmm. And then, but wait, so I combined the Stenza technology? (laughs) And okay, we get it. Yeah. Let's see a little more about how he brought them in. What's been happening here the last 3,000 years? A brief mention, we did say there are two UX characters, Andinio is played by Phyllis Logan and Delph by Purcell Ascot. I want to be sure to say that because I think they both did a phenomenal job. I agree. With the acting. A lot of great actors this season. That's, I never had an issue with the acting. The guest stars are kind of fitting in seamlessly yeah. to this universe. And at times, I'm more compelled by them than our primary characters. Well, that wraps up new characters, but let me give you a brief Tim Shaw recap as it has been a while since we saw him before we jump into this episode. Episode one of this season, he was sent to Earth as part of a ritual to become the new Stenza leader, where a randomly designated human must be located without weapons or assistance and brought back home. When Tim, as we're calling him, we know this is not his real name, when he transferred all his data from the coil creature to himself. That included the cleverly placed bombs the doctor had put in them. Thus, he winds up suffering those consequences. And when he's pushed from the top of this ladder, he goes to flee with his recall device, but it's been corrupted and he gets sent somewhere. We find out here that somewhere is 3,407 years in the past to the planet of Ranskor. And what I gather is before his species is developed. Yes, that's what they're intimating. Okay. 
he kind of has to go in on his own now, not just because he can't leave the planet or he'll die, <laughs> but there are no other stenza. At the very least, he can't contact the other stenza. At the very least, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the more I think about it, their technology is so advanced. There's no way that they're that new of a species. You never know. There's a lot of shit going on out there in the wide universe well, of the doctor. We know that they don't have dentists because he's got teeth all over his face. <laughs> Okay, a plus point two that really bothered me in episode one. I think they improved his they look a little it. here. Yeah, don't quote me on this, but I almost felt like it was a different actor. May have been. They made his teeth a little scarier. Overall, he was slightly... His color was a little darker. The better looking villain. Yeah, less blue. Yeah, it's more purple. So now, as we said, we don't have to go through this in depth. We have the opening of the episode where we see the ox performing this ritual, Delph learning he's being trained for 17 years. He's worrying that he's going to fail about this. Which we can all relate to, especially at that age. You're learning so much. The more you learn, the more you realize you don't know, especially when you get to college, which is a little older than this, but I feel like he's taken college-level courses. (laughs) You say you want to do something for a living. You start paying the exorbitant amount of college money, But the more you learn, you're like, holy shit, I don't know if I could ever do this. That's what he's going through. It seems like it takes a toll on them when they have to use these powers. Mm. You know, when his eyes start glowing, he's really having to kind of channel that energy to pull the rocks together. But I think the crux of this is what Andinio tells him. The creator would contend the world is not to be understood, only experienced and built with our gift. And I think that's the belief he uses to turn against them. And at the end of this scene, she stops Delph midway through because something is appearing which should not be possible. It's Tim Shaw. So are we assuming that Tim Shaw is immune to what this environment can do to your brain? I don't know if he's immune or he's worked something out. He says a couple of times the Ux have helped to keep him healthy and And alive. alive. Maybe they've also helped to stop the impact of the psychological waves, but... He does seem to be physically in a great deal of distress and near the end of his life. He's hooked up the whole time to some kind of life support system. Yeah, I kept thinking of like Darth Vader. There's a lot of tubes we see when he takes his mask off. He, He has to put it back on. He's having trouble breathing. And he mentions between the DNA bombs that he suffered that the doctor threw at him, essentially. (laughs) Um, Threw in him. But he actually did the throwing. So he did the detonating. I guess the, the, oh, the, okay. Yeah, he said But also, he absorbed all of it. Correct. She didn't even put it in him. She put it in the little spidey thing. He got that blast. Plus, it's 3,000-something years later. It doesn't seem like the Stenza usually live that long. It's only by whatever the Ux are helping mm. him to do that he's surviving. Thus, I don't even know, once they put him in that pod later, how much longer he's really going to live. If they turn the stasis on... Maybe indefinitely. That's, oof, we'll come back to that. Fast forward some 3,000 years later to where Team TARDIS receives these distress calls coming from the planet. When they arrive, the doctor picks up on these violent psychotropic waves in the atmosphere and so gives the group the neural balancers. That the planet is transmitting violent psychotropic waves throughout its atmosphere. The type of waves that mess with your brain, distort reality, change moods to the extreme. These are neural balances. So long as you're wearing one, it should keep you immune to the waves. You must keep it on at all times. What happens if you lose them? 
Don't lose them. The key here being they have to wear them at all times to be immune to the waves. Okay, real quick, because I don't want to harp on this. I was glad to get some scenes inside of the TARDIS in the beginning. Clatchers know that we, that's something that we really love when the TARDIS is being shown. They gave us a different angle of the TARDIS, which was nice as they zoomed in. But after that, once they meet, and I know I'm jumping forward, but once they meet Peltraki, they spend a good 13 minutes in that dark room that is kind of like there's nothing to look at. They could have gone back in the TARDIS. They could have made a reason to go back. She needs to connect the dots that are dismantled at this point with the ship and they all go back in the TARDIS. I think that would have been better because it's... Well, they had some kind of visual struggle because there are points of the episode that are genuinely beautiful. When you first see the planet... Oh yeah, that opening scene, beautiful. And then later when the mists part, when Paltraki's leading them and you finally see the ship hovering above the planet that they have to go to. That's nice. Immense and gorgeous. But then there are scenes where they're just running through hallways and it's a ton of mist and glowing lights and you can't really see anything. The actual minerals where the planets are being stored in and the thing that doctor's using to carry it around looks like a cheap piece of plastic. It doesn't look like an excellently made prop. I'm not sure why the discrepancy, if there were things we just didn't spend a lot of time and budget on, but it feels... I think he was out of money at this Jarring. The beginning of the season, there was so much money put into every episode. I don't know if you noticed that. It was like, wow, there's a lot more money. Mid-season, you could see they were cutting corners. And then whatever was remaining, and I think he was saving up some, were for those great visuals in the last episode. I mean... Jay, you got to have it for the finale. And I if know. you've got the CGI money to dump on that ship in the sky, these minerals, for two seconds we see that ship, these minerals we see throughout the whole episode and they're just not great. I didn't mind it that much. I really didn't. Maybe uh, <sighs> maybe if it glue a little bit. It's got to it's gotta look a little... Well, for Christmas, I bought you one of those, okay? Maybe, and it moves. Maybe more rustic, older, I don't know, something. But they're not old. They're newly formed crystals around the earths that they just absorbed. well no they've been working on getting these five planets For one 3, at least years. one of them's like three thousand yeah, years yeah, old so right. well close right <laughs> uh, and then the pods that they're holding people in stasis have that same shape which is kind of cool that you mirror that as of right now i don't really mind the ship i don't mind the place where we find paltraki i think it kind of fits because it throws us off that it looks abandoned. The rest of the ships yeah. we find later are abandoned. We don't know the story because Paltraki has no memories. It's a little confusing and scary, which sets a nice tone. Yeah. And that is the storyline that we really liked. There's also the first of the odd Grahamisms here. It's Ood. <laughs> Just kidding. Where he wonders, do they really have to be the ones to answer this call? Yeah, that was out of place, too. Ooh, we don't even know about Tim Shaw yet, but he's kind of like, do we have to help them? I don't know, man. Well, what I put what? in my... I know, I know. What I put in my brain was that every single journey that they went on, by the time they realized they were in something dangerous, they were already knee-deep in it. So the only thing I could surmise is this is the first time where before they even go out of the TARDIS... They know the dangers. Yes, but again, conflicting. Graham is the one who wants to go on these adventures, who is theoretically still kind of running from his grief, and he was always looking to help people. And the way he says it is just kind of like, 
maybe someone else should handle this. <laughs> and the doctor has to start chiding him here already. Well, yep. if not us, nobody else is answering it, so... I agree with you, but I think what they were trying to do with this episode in particular was it was more about the doctor for the first time this season. It was about the doctor and her response to him. Everyone else has passed him by. Should we too? As a finale, I don't mind it being more about the doctor. Again, I wish they they could have done it better, but that's the way I'm putting it in my brain. But then we need to see, like I said before, her have some type of challenge, emotional struggle arc over the course of the episode. Agreed. She kind of stays firm on yeah. her viewpoint from beginning to end. They do obviously go to help. They find Paltraki. She offers him a neural balancer to calm his mind, hoping it will restore some of his memories. And Yaz is able to turn on the machine that shows he is the commander. While figuring this out, the call comes in from Andinio, stating that the creator commands Paltraki return what he took or they will kill his crew. One of the crew members begs him not to listen, not to return, but she is killed. The stakes are set right away here, and that's good. We know something real is going down if we don't comply. He's told there are two crew members left, and he has until nightfall. Plus, the doctor recognizes the voice on the other end of that call. <laughs> she thinks she sent him back here with the recall device. How is he here? Minor quibble, but it might have been cool if we didn't know it was Tim Shaw until a little later when we confront him. Well, you weren't supposed to. We just knew. I don't think everyone knew. No, she says, but I sent him back with the recall device. There's only one other character she sent back somewhere with a recall device. Yeah, I guess with this season, it pretty much states it. In the past, the doctor could say something like that, and you're like, oh, is that something we know about, or is it an adventure that we don't know about? You could just keep that line out of there. Just say, but how is he here? Mm. Maybe keep the mystery going a little longer. That's what you've said about our relationship. <laughs> the doctor then notices the large stone that looks like a mineral the density of which is blowing the Sonic's readouts. This is great. Even the Sonic can't get a handle on it. There's a sophisticated stasis lock. Another huge key, because that's Stenza technology. She, I think she even says Stenza technology. Uh, embedded in the biostructure. Ryan also finds a mapping device with targets locked on and thinks they can use it to retrace where Peltraki was and get his crew back. Thus, the rescue mission begins. As they start their trek, Ryan mentions he feels something akin to extreme motion sickness. And Paltraki says that's how, that's it, how started. it started. Graham asks the doctor for a private word. He says if Tim Shaw is the creature, he will kill him if he can for what he did to Grace. If that is the creature from Sheffield, I will kill it if I can. For what it did to Grace. Go back to the TARDIS, Graham. No. I won't let you do that. You ain't gonna have a say in it. You're better than this. You are. You have to be. If you kill him, I can't have you travel with me. That's if you even live. I understand. No, you don't. We're going to rescue hostages. Anything that compromises them is dangerous. And if you kill him, you become the same as him. I ain't having that. I'm serious, Graham. I'm genuinely asking this question because... I'm still fairly new to Doctor Who, so I don't know everything about this universe. Has no, you're it not. Not fairly new. Well, I've never seen anything prior to the 2005 reboot. Oh, neither have I. 
and I haven't finished no, you haven't. with the Matt Smith series. So I'm better than you. <laughs> my question is, has the doctor ever threatened that if a companion doesn't comply with the rules, they're going to be kicked out? I believe we saw, yes, we did once where she literally did kick out. It was a secondary companion traveling with yes. them. It was uh, David Tennant. It was the library. No, it was the hall of, it was that rich kid. Basically. Yes. 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 Yeah. But I don't think a primary companion has ever been like, listen, you're cutting it close. And if you keep going, you're out. Not in my memory anyway. Uh, that's a, a pretty big step. I think it's typically the companions who start to have issues with the adventures or think they can't do it anymore or want to go home. But that's an interesting piece of Dr. Lore if this marks a historical first. Now, of course, Graham doesn't get cut off. And it's almost like the doctor knows he's not really going to go through with it. Like she knows who Graham is at heart because she makes no attempt to send him back to the TARDIS to keep him under her, watch the entire episode. It's just kind of like, well, don't do that. Well, Chibnall was like, okay, that's enough of that. Let's move on with this. <laughs> Paltrocki thinks there's a reason he should have left this planet, but he can't remember. And the doctor instructs not to push. The memories will return. Finding the battlefield, he explained, those are the vanquished. The ones that came before them failed and fell, and we see fallen ships. Then through the mist onto the edifice, there is a really large ship hovering in the sky, and that was their destination. Here, the doctor unpacks her weapons that she took from the ship. Throat mics or calm dots that will keep them in contact. Grenades? Code breakers for the doors? Bombs? Ryan's like, uh... Is this keeping in line with our rules here? Because <laughs> I don't quite know. I love Ryan in moments like this. And here's the unforgivable line. It's a flexible creed. Anything inanimate is okay. If it can be rebuilt, I'll allow it. Also, don't quote that back to me. My rules change all the time. It just feels like a cop-out. It is such an excuse to, maybe we've been a little wishy-washy back and forth this season, but don't worry about it. Whatever I say at any given time, that's what goes. Now you could do whatever you want. Maybe it's an indication that he's going to change next season a little bit. Maybe? No? Mm, hoping for the best? Uh, I think you word it differently. This sounds like she's flying by the seat of her pants and doesn't even know what her own roles are. So don't question me. Just do what I'm telling you. But okay, Ryan goes with it. She divvies out the missions. She wants Paltraki and Yaz to head towards the original mission markers while Graham and Ryan follow the life signals to rescue the crew. She brings the stone as negotiation leverage. Before they can find a way in, the entrance activation field beams them up into the building. I was excited that Graham and Ryan are going on their own adventure. Once again, every time we have scenes where Graham and Ryan are doing something together separately, they're the best scenes. We have a mixture of humor and a mixture of uh, really good touching life subjects. Yeah, and it builds the emotional arc. In fact, I think once you get Graham away from the doctor, uh, the emotional stuff is way better. Maybe we should have just cut that and had him purely interacting really with Ryan. Plus, I do like Yaz with the secondary characters. I've been saying this all season long. She's our entry point into them. They don't do enough with her and Paltraki here, which is unfortunate because that's how we've been getting little bits more of Yaz and they could have. But let's start out talking about the Ryan and Graham show. Ryan knows he calls Graham on this immediately, that his intentions are to kill Tim Shaw. And he presses him if that's what Graham would have wanted. 
He also pleads with him not to wreck what they have because he's angry. And I thought that was really human and on point. Like, we finally have a good thing going here. And if you keep doing this, you're going to get kicked out. We're not going to be able to do this anymore. Again, I'm clinging on to last episode as a reason why this might be understandable. I'm clinging on to it. Well, I, that's what I mean. I think Ryan's reactions are very good. They're very realistic. And here it makes more sense. Graham doesn't like him challenging him, making him think about that. Was that really what she would have done? So he stubbornly just has to protest and stick to his guns. And they're interrupted midway through because sniper bots start chasing them. Apparently sniper bots are okay to kill too. Doctor doesn't have a problem with that one. Um, Well, the doctor did in the beginning. Remember when Ryan went out with his gun? Episode two? Yeah, but... But you said you were new then and had to lay down the law. Yeah, and we've been killing them left and right this episode, so... (laughs) But actually... No more disabling nonsense. Paltraki is the one killing them. Well, here first. They killed each other. Ryan and Graham. Oh, come, but Well, they ducked. Come on. And they shot each other. That is cheap. No, I don't like that at all. You ever play a video game? That does happen. I don't like that at all. Uh, Moving past that, they find large container pods shaped like the minerals. Inside are trapped dozens of people in stasis. How will they get them all out? After all, there are 30 chambers and only two code breakers. I like this too. The race against time. There's real people in there we need to get out. We don't quite know what we're doing. And Graham thinks this proves his point why they should kill Tim Shaw. Look what he's doing to these people. Ooh, emotionally gripping line here, he says. And according to Ryan, he was never good enough for Grace anyway. And that's, that's real, and it's heart-wrenching. And Ryan finally steps up here and says they're family, and he loves him. He says, I'm telling you what she used to tell me. Be the better man. It's not anything the doctor said to him. It's not any moment in this episode. It's Ryan saying that to him that will stick with him. Because later, he'll say the exact same thing to Tim Shaw. I'm not a warrior. I'm the better man. Meanwhile, as we said, Paltraki's memory is returning. He tells Yaz about his home on Stebble. And he remembers that the Congress of the Nine Planets sent out fleets in response to these atrocities. They're able to find the room storing the minerals, five in total, which Paltraki remembers his group never believed was possible, kind of our first clue. This is something huge that we've never seen before happening. Yaz wonders what's inside and why everyone's fighting over it. What's in the box? And the big story, here comes the exposition. The doctor travels by herself until she finds Andinio. She's excited to finally meet one of the Ux she's heard so much about. She puts it together about their dimensional engineering. The Ux, as in the Duo species. Only ever two of you, lifespan of millennia. Only found on three planets from the whole universe. I've never met an Ux. Congratulations, it must be so cool. Wait, there's something else. Oh, I can't remember. I've remembered. This building, is it true about the Ux? Faith-driven, dimensional engineers. Is that why the building feels alive? And Indinio tells her their faith is handed down. The creator is their cornerstone, and they are the blessed generation, the first Ux to see him. Indinio is ordering the doctor to surrender the device, and she says, let the creator see her face. And Tim Shaw says to bring her to me. He also tells Indinio to... Ready him. 
quote unquote, that there is a new target. We don't know what that means exactly, but she goes to prepare Delph, who is resisting that this is wrong. And Tim Shaw tells the doctor what he's been up to for the past 3,407 years since they saw each other. When she corrupted his recall device, banishing him across the universe to this planet, he was unable to leave without dying. He believes a curse for his failure. He arrived here on the verge of death, racked by the DNA bombs, and the Uxmas took him for the creator they had waited for. They worshipped him, helping him to regain his strength and assisting him with his plans. What does he want? Well, revenge on the doctor. If she hadn't interfered, he would have become the Stenza leader. No matter, though, now he is a god. With the ultimate knowledge of the Stenza race, the creation power of the Ux, he has made a weapon, the Shrine. While the Stenza held people in stasis as trophies, the ultimate goal was actually to hold civilizations. They never found the way, but he has. I want to pause that there because I think that's kind of a good idea, but they really had to elaborate on it this episode in order to make Tim Shaw a villain. It feels like a lot of newly introduced information. If we're coming back to the serialized process, really what we learned about Tim Shaw in the first episode was this ritual that they undertook and holding people from different planets as trophies. I thought if we went back to him, that would be the purpose, that the doctor had to discover and free these people that are presumably still there. Yeah, that would be a storyline that we could embrace. That's something the doctor would want to take care of. She knows now that they're out there and what they're doing. But instead, she forgot about them until this point where it's a completely different idea. Yeah, we have to like retcon Tim Shaw and beef him up. Let's just send him 3,000 years in the past because we don't really know where he went and make it that he's capturing entire planets. I don't think we even had to go that far. The issue here is that bringing up these planets creates more questions than answers. So we know he has stolen five planets, entire worlds removed from their spatial orbit. But why? I wish there was significance to each planet that would have a lot more meaning, a lot more weight. And if it's going to be personally impactful, and he's really trying to put it to the doctor, why not steal Gallifrey? So that's something we did discuss before we started recording. And there's so much to remember with Doctor Who, but we know that Gallifrey is gone. It was destroyed. But then we know with Matt Smith, a new Gallifrey from the tear in time was created. But I didn't know that that Gallifrey came into this existence. It was put into a pocket world, quote unquote. Now, we don't know if that's not accessible, perhaps, to Tim Shaw. We're doing enough fudging here that I would think there's a way to get to that. But even barring that, I don't really get the whole concept of what he is doing. Did he want to just steal Earth so that it no longer belongs to them? It sounded like he wanted to create a weapon to destroy Earth when the Doctor was here to witness it. I don't think so. I don't think he was assuming the Doctor would come. Or at a time and place where the Doctor could witness it, let's put it that way, that it would impact her. Maybe. The other question I was left with, the Doctor says that he committed a planetary genocide when he took them all and miniaturized them. It destroyed all life forms on the planet. Yes. When she sends them back, are they restored? That's something we don't know about. And that's one of the things about this episode that we're missing. Everything that happened at the end of the episode, we know we saw visually the planets are back, but we don't know about the people. We don't know about the timing. 
maybe the TARDIS was introduced to do this because the TARDIS brought it back to right before the planet was taken, so the beings are alive again? I don't know. The only reason I don't think that could be possible, it sounded like the eliminating of the life forms was a result of miniaturizing them. When the TARDIS returns them, they are still in that small form before it's able to beam them back, thus seemingly beaming them back in current condition. I don't think that's a small issue you can hand wave. The life forms on the planets are what the doctor would be most concerned about. That's mm-hmm. where the stakes are, right? Well, we're broaching upon a lot of the things that we have issues with. It's hard to say when we start an episode. It's hard to explain why we have an issue with an episode that we're podcasting about because we always podcast about things we love. And we're always afraid. We don't want to pound too much on a creation. But this is this is it. This is one of the things that... It's just, part of my pun, it's left to drift in space. We give the season leeway all throughout, giving Chibnall the benefit of the doubt. He has time. He could wrap this up. Let's wait until the finale and see how he ties it all together. When you don't deliver on that in the finale, Mm -hmm. this is the time that we have to comment. I have heard people saying maybe he plans to wrap things up better in a special, but I don't think that's smart. No. This is disconnected from the season. Not everybody's going to watch that. You can't save your answers for that point in time. He brought certain things back that I never expected that I'm happy about, but I didn't even feel there was closure to our characters and our stories, which is a huge problem by the end of your finale. Now, a concept that I did like that I wished they would have explored more, was this partially the doctor's fault that any of this happened? By transporting Tim Shaw back instead of letting him fall from that roof, Mm -hmm. we allowed this all to happen. That emotion is something that we have had to deal with in our brains in past Doctor Whos, and that's why we love it. Because is it the doctor's fault that this, this, and this happened because he or she tried to fix this? Those are the conundrums that we really love to bounce off of our heads every season. So it's nice that it was introduced here, but it wasn't talked about. It wasn't no, displayed. And I, again, it should have been an issue for the doctor to struggle with. And this is how you brilliantly tie in the violence and the killing. We're so bent on, we can't ever do that. Mm-hmm. We allow somebody like Tim Shaw to live and just send him somewhere else. Somewhere else, without even understanding of what time, what place he's going to. That's problem number one. I think she thought she was sending him right back to the species. Well, you got to check on that shit, man. You got to go You gotta go look. And even then, there's loose threads of all these people trophies yeah. that we haven't bothered with. But we don't know. We don't really know where Tim Shaw went. By sparing somebody who is obviously evil and Mm. doing wrong, we now allow the planetary genocide. Mm -hmm. Five planets, millions and billions of people who maybe didn't even survive. We don't know. The only argument I can give you is that the doctor has never been a hunter, has always been a protector. So us wanting the doctor to go and find out what the Stenza is up to and go battle them, I think we're forgetting that the doctor never hunts. Not battle them. Ensure that you have taken Tim Shaw off the table, at least, as a preeminent threat. Imprison him. I I don't know. Whatever her rules are with how she deals with these people. And check out the ones he's already got as prisoners that you haven't helped. We just send him off in a recall device. And we don't give it another thought. And I think perhaps these are the consequences coming around to bite us in the ass later. I think that's why the doctor always needs or needed the master. 
if the master was there, I think the master would be that yang to her ying Mm -hmm. to bring that up. Or a companion could do it. We have three now. True. Maybe one could step into a slightly different role of pushing and challenging the doctor a bit more. I don't necessarily like the way they handled that with Graham this episode. But again, I like the concept. If he comes back around and has a conversation with her in the end, was putting him in this stasis machine really better? Was this partially our fault by letting him go the first time? Let's, let's dive into that stuff. Well, back to this episode, the doctor does try to warn Tim that the technology he's made is unstable. These planets cannot exist in the same place at the same time. Okay, time out. I felt like this was wedged into that moment. Oh, okay, here's a newest problem established. He's had five planets there for God knows how long. We know within 3,000 years. And they're doing okay. All of a sudden, they start vibrating. Jason, it's the six one that's just going to put you over the edge. But they weren't even there yet. <laughs> no, the six one wasn't even there yet. They weren't. Oh man, yeah. That goes back to what I said before. Just too many ideas brought in at the same time. There's not enough room to explore them. Well, it doesn't matter because Tim Shaw's not listening. He's targeting Earth, the site of their first meeting where it all began. And it's not only that; it's any world that has defied the Stenza, which will be removed now. We switch over to Ryan and Graham, who get into the containers, but they're running out of time. And unbeknownst to them, Tim Shaw has discovered what they're doing. Graham sends Ryan with Paltraki to take the freed members back to the ship, and he stays to confront Tim Shaw. Oh, don't skip over the fact that Paltraki kicks some ass right there. It was pretty cool. Oh, before this, where he takes out the bots, whatever they are. When the moment comes, Graham lowers his weapon. Ryan, having run back to help, finds him taking Tim Shaw down. And Graham asks him not to tell the doctor. After all, he only shot him in the foot to shut him up. It's fine. I love these scenes. The fist bump, the part with Graham deciding he's not going to shoot him, but then shoots him in the foot. What? I shot him in the foot. I love that. That's the Graham (laughs) Ryan that we really, really enjoy in this show. Honestly, the best writing, I feel, is when it comes to Ryan and Graham and their camaraderie and emotions. Well, because it's really the only complex emotional arc we've built over the season. I think by having the two of them play off each other, we always worried that the third person would become a third wheel, and really she has. We haven't built up Yaz with the Doctor more, even though it's been intimated, and I think that would have been a good place to dive more in depth with that. But this is definitely hitting. It's firing on all cylinders for the two of them. I even like what they've decided to do with him. They're not letting Tim Shaw go and they're really not being humane either. They're punishing him to be imprisoned for the rest of eternity, however long that lasts, inside of one of these containers. You brought us all together. You ain't gonna tear us apart. You ain't worth killing. But you can't have a taste of your own medicine. We're not weak strong and we sentence you to life so as you're contemplating eternity keep one name on your mind grace i mean that's rough and it was a beautiful moment this moment the humanity which is a strength for this doctor who season the humanity is that humane though well i'm talking about the humanity emotions their ability to overcome pain, overcome differences, learn to love each other. Don't forget, Ryan did not talk to Graham. He didn't like Graham in episode one. Yeah, he finally fully admits that. And he does it again here, which 
I really appreciate, just like the other episode. I said it once, I'm not going to say it again. You heard me say I love you. It's just that their actions, again, make me question, why is this okay? Why are certain things okay and not others in her mind? If we're really looking at the big picture of trying to be humane to our victims, I'm not getting the difference. But we do have to keep in mind, I'm with you, I'm on board. That's bothering me a lot. But those kind of holes have been around since Doctor Who was created. But it's just more blatant this season. Blatant, and it's partially the Doctor's response to it. She doesn't see much ambiguity. She doesn't struggle with the problem over that. Even though at the beginning of the season, the first five or six episodes, she was so in tune to emotions. Yes, Yes, that's what I mean. We've, we've set up a different kind of doctor here. And we kind of fail to capitalize on that too in this next interaction, which I thought could be great with Yaz. When the doctor's trying to formulate a plan, she thinks that if the Ux are psychically generating all this by thought, she can block it with the neural balancers. Makes sense. So Yaz, who has stayed to help, agrees the two of them take off the balancers and put it on Andinio and Delph, and they're able to explain to them, Tim Shaw is a lie, He has debased their faith and turned them into destroyers. They get them to understand the reality of the situation and agree to help with the destabilizing planets. But as we mentioned before, they don't have to face the reality of really having those balancers off for a while. We don't get a doctor unable to come up with the plan because she's so affected by these waves that she can't think straight. Yeah, they didn't have time. We don't get a Yaz being confronted with her worst fears and losing memory. This is something that we're really missing and we're striving for. And maybe it's you and myself's fault. With Game of Thrones, they take the time to settle in on all these kinds of emotions. Maybe it's just not possible with commercial television, with one-hour episodes. I'm going to have to disagree with you there because if we had split it evenly while you're seeing the Ryan Graham journey off Saving the Crew see the Dr. Yaz journey. We spend all this time with her talking to Tim Shaw pointlessly. He's just regurgitating his plan over and over again for long lengths of time. Instead of that, maybe we don't even know it's Tim Shaw at first. We save that reveal. And you have the Dr. and Yaz dealing with this, the neural balancers trying to convince the Ux, learning more about why are they so pulled in. That's going to lead us to our conclusion about Tim Shaw anyway, but in a more natural way where we get yeah. to find out about their faith, how they were taken in. And maybe the Ux have to be more responsible to help because the Dr. and Yaz are debilitated by their condition. They can be the ones to save the problem that they have partially fed into. And we get to see their power. I mean... That would be pretty amazing. Instead, we also kind of have to have a quick fix by the TARDIS. Let's pull some scientific jargon that I really don't understand. Things we've never seen the TARDIS do before to fix it. Now, I don't mind the TARDIS being the hero. It's a semi-magical, not just ship, but being all unto itself. I'm pretty sure it can do incredible stuff. But she kind of runs through a really rapid-fire explanation. They're going to lash together the power of the TARDIS, the strengths of the Ux, and the knowledge of the Stenza to create a supergroup. Okay, I get that. She's going to use the telepathic circuits to hook it up to the Ux's mind. So really we're not using much from them except being able to figure out the coordinates and pull that really quickly. And the TARDIS is going to extend its dematerialization field. Which we learned 
from the episode with the watch, which was cool. I like they they the telepathic circuits. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, the dematerialization extension though. I don't know if we've <clears> seen that. Meaning something outside of the TARDIS itself. That's different. We've extended the range so that it can get to the planets without having to pull them all inside mm. the TARDIS box and then split the field. So it's extended, and now we've split it into five parts. It's like Bluetooth. So that each one can teleport to separate locations simultaneously. For real, I think this is abilities we've never seen the TARDIS do before. Also, if you're going to have the TARDIS be the hero of the day, she keeps pushing it like, it's really a super group with the Stenza technology and the UX power, but at the end of the day, it's more so the TARDIS. We haven't seen the TARDIS all season. <laughs> I love it because I'm a fan and I want to see it be the hero. But if you're a new viewer to this, do you really get any of that? Does it hold weight? Oh, yeah. New viewer? No. I'm not sure. Do you even know what a dematerialization field extension means? Well, no one does. <laughs> um, it works. However, <laughs> however, I think that Amazon happens. would want to know what it is because they could really use that. Oh yeah, same minute shipping. Zap them for twenty dollars a month. You have same minute shipping. <laughs> Multiple locations in the universe. So that is wrapped up super quickly. We don't really get clarity. Was Tim Shaw put into stasis? Will he be there for eternity? Sounds like it. Do Sounds we care? Like the age and the issue he's been dealing with physically is not a problem once he gets put into this pod. It will he will suffer from tooth decay? Keep him alive. But they do tell us when they're back at the ship with Paltraki and the others that the Ux sealed the building behind them so no one can get to Tim Shaw. But Tim Shaw will be back stronger be, than ever. And saved. his new name will be Gingivitis. <laughs> oh, oh, Paltraki says he will complete his mission. I like this touch. Delph convinces Andinio to go with them, finally leaving their planet, to understand what else is out there and find another home. And the doctor leaves them, and us, the viewers, with this final message. Keep your faith, travel hopefully, and the universe will constantly surprise you. This ending scene, I actually enjoyed. I really liked it. Oh, yeah. It was beautiful. I love the message it's sending. I just don't feel we got wrap-up on our characters. We didn't... It didn't feel like a season ender. Go back to any of that. It, there was no season ender to that. It, I feel like there's... Maybe this is a 12 season. It feels 12 like... 12 episode season. Right. The <laughs> penultimate, and they're going to really wrap it up in the holiday special. Maybe. Great, but people need to know that. You know, this really is your... 11th episode coming up, not a separate holiday special. Yeah. Holiday specials in the past have always been its own entity. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there that coincides with the major storyline. So this would be really ironic if he's going to flip it. All 10 episodes are standalone episodics, <laughs> but the holiday special... That'll mean something. ...is going to tie it in. Just quote me on this. We're not doing the holiday special on the podcast. We'll be getting ready for the magicians, but it would be great... And I will be so happy if it has something to do in New York City with the ball drop. And with the timeless child. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that would be perfection. And, okay, whoop, can't say too soon. If something else that we think may happen happens, I'll tell you about that in the spoilers. For now, though, just keeping it to our episode 1 to 10 season... We're going to look at what we give the finale and what we think about the season as a whole. So, Jason, for this episode 10, on a scale of 1 to 10 Sonics, what do you give it? Well, I'm having issues. Do I grade it on an episode alone or do I grade it on the fact that it's a finale? 
I think you have to factor that in. It is a standalone episode, but it carries the weight of having to wrap up your season. Honestly, I'm going with the fact that it's supposed to be a season finale. I'm going with the fact that we opened up this whole series on the podcast saying, let's keep our minds open. Let's be open to new, but hopefully they'll bring in some old. But their disregard of any old, their inability to lean on the strengths of the emotions and the beautiful writing of the old, I got to give this episode a 6.1. Yeah, so this is difficult for me too. Watching this episode, I really did not enjoy it while it was happening because there were so many things that felt like they went against Doctor Who as a show or even contradicted things this series has put forth about our characters, our Doctor, our universe. It left a lot of dangling threads for me and did not get me sufficiently excited for either the special or the future season. It might have been okay as a mid-season standalone episode just ranking somewhere around the middle of a seven, but with the weight of a finale, I have to give it a 6.5, which is my lowest rating of the season. Now, because we're not doing the special or a bonus, I have averaged us out to see where our ratings are. For series 11, IMDb is at a seven, Rotten Tomatoes, an 84%, you a 7.5, and me a 7.8. Wow, you're higher than me. Holy shit. Just slightly. And that was because there were some I liked more than you. Like, I ranked a 9 on Demons of the Punjab. That's pretty high. I gotta say, this has been a hard 10 weeks for us. We love Doctor Who. We came in with an open mind. We didn't want to bash it. We really celebrated the strong points but we had to bring forth the negatives. This season felt like the first episode of every regenerated Doctor lost. And it felt like the first few episodes of a new show trying to lay the groundwork, but all season long. I kind of understand what Chibnall was trying to do, and especially if in future seasons, he starts to bring back these characters, the enemies, the ideas that he laid the groundwork for here to create his own thing. It's just that your season one struggles as a result. And if you look at this as a season one, it should open with a bang. And then you can slow it down a little bit, lay the groundwork, maybe have your typical sophomore slump. This season had to do a lot for viewers. It had to bring new people in. It had to appease the old, set him apart from years and years of Doctor Who, but keep true to some of the themes. Yeah introduced three companions for the first time, anybody was going to have difficulty with that. And I did feel the show perhaps hitting its stride, episode six with Demons of the Punjab. I liked that. I liked Kerblam. There were elements of the witch finders and it takes you away that were pretty good. But I feel like we backslid a little here and that's rough for a finale. We've given it the benefit of the doubt. We've given it enough time Hmm. so we can accurately evaluate our own feelings You know what it feels like? When Moffat took the helm, it was evident that he was a Doctor Who fan before he was ever getting paid by BBC. Chibnall, it feels like he was not even a fan of Doctor Who. Yeah, like this was a labor. I have to figure out how to make all this work. Let's stick to a formula. I don't like what they've been doing, so we got to change this. Every episode, the reactions I heard were similar. It's okay but there's something missing. The heart of Doctor Who is not quite there anymore. Or hearts. Overall, 
I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I saw this season and the turning point for such an epic show. Was able to experience that along with everybody else and talk through my thoughts. And we will be watching the New Year's special and next season. Yeah, we won't podcast about the special. Perhaps we'll talk about that briefly on a bonus cast if you'd like to hear our thoughts on it. But we are happy that you guys came along with us for the ride as well. And it's not over yet. In fact, we're at the funnest part of the episode. Every week on Twitter, at CKC Podcast, we ask our Clatchers who your MVC is. This month, we gave you Ryan and Graham, Yaz and Peltraki, the Ux, and the TARDIS. There's three hours left, but we have a pretty big dichotomy here. So I, I think, think we can declare a clear yeah. winner. <laughs> In fact, two of those options have 0%. Yaz and Peltraki and the Ux. Yaz and Paltraki, sorely underutilized, underdeveloped. They were a team during the episode, but neither one of them got enough time or enough to do. So while I love them both and I wish there was more, I understand the sentiments. But Paltraki was awesome, though. Let's be honest. He was cool. Mark Addy was awesome. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) And the Ux, kind of a similar story. I loved what I saw of them, not nearly enough. I'm very intrigued. I want more from their storyline. Yeah, give me an Ux episode. So second place with 40% is the TARDIS. Well, we finally got an episode where the TARDIS meant something, and we have been fiending that. So I'm really glad that she incorporated the TARDIS. We always said, why didn't she go to the TARDIS for this? Maybe she can find something in there. Maybe she can do the work that she needs to in there with protection. Mm -hmm. TARDIS saved the day. But coming in first place with 60%, the dynamic duo Ryan and Graham. We could see this coming from a mile away, which is a good thing. Almost every episode, it felt like they took value in Ryan and Graham, especially when they were alone together. Well, and I gave it to Graham last episode because I said, I have a feeling they're going to give Ryan a little more to do in the finale. He's going to have his moment. He was still furthering Graham's character arc, but he was able to clearly define what is Ryan about? When is he going to put his foot down? What's important to him? He was able to say, I love you. This is granddad now. Give him dap. It's not just Graham. Or dab. And hopefully Graham has worked through his issues. He's been able to process his grief and grow closer to his companions and his loved ones as a result. Lewis wrote in to say, by far, it's Ryan and Graham. So he's on board there. Brian T. says they rescued the prisoners and Graham figured out how to be the better man. Ryan and Graham took down a god. Okay, a wannabe god. Have to give it to Ryan and his granddad. It was very nice to see the TARDIS actually used as more than something just mentioned in passing. I agree. Yes. Very well said. We also got a voicemail from Brian S. Those of you just listening to weekly coverage probably aren't familiar with this. We do have a CKC voicemail where you can call in with your thoughts, answers to questions, or your weekly MBC, but it's primarily utilized for our Patreon interactive discussions. So I'm glad we have the opportunity. Let's hear what he has to say. Hey, guys, it's Brian giving you a call to talk about the latest episode of Doctor Who. I figured Twitter wouldn't give me more than 280 characters, and yeah, this is just easier. So I voted for the TARDIS, actually. Don't get me wrong, Ryan and Graham were awesome, and the Yippie robot line was perfect. But I thought the TARDIS, without the TARDIS, they would not have been able to save the day. And actually, I kind of liked how the stakes were raised in this episode compared to other ones and how Tim Shaw came back. Finally, there were some callbacks. I think they're trying to do a hard reboot of Doctor Who and just doing callbacks individually within the season versus, like, throughout the entire series. 
Um, but yeah, I thought this was probably the best episode of the season, which is not saying too much compared to the other episodes. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I thought it was good. Thought the TARDIS was the, the clincher in the episode. That wasn't there. They wouldn't have saved it. All right, thanks. Have a good day. So, surprise, surprise. No, no surprise at all. Brian agrees with me. Pretty much, except for the fact that he thought this was the best episode of the season. Oh, yeah, I just meant about the TARDIS. Oh, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> but I like the elements of this episode that he mentions. Those were the things I thought yes. were great about it. And that's what we wanted, some it callbacks. just didn't click on all levels. So thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. Lewis, we got your voice message, but that is in regards to another episode. So we listened to it. We love you, and thank you for that. And Jason, who are you going to vote for? I'm going Ryan and Graham. I think they are the dynamic duo. They've done so well together. Their storylines are the most fleshed out companions. I feel like I know them, and I feel like I really care about them. That makes total sense and now gives me full license to vote for my emotional choice, and that is the TARDIS. We didn't see nearly enough of it this season, but if you need a last-minute hero, this is a good place for the TARDIS to shine. I'm glad that we got it back. That's going to wrap up our regular coverage and just leave us with our final spoilers for this episode. Before we go into spoilers, we want to thank you guys so much for coming along for the ride and being our companions. Just a heads up, the end of January, we will be back with one of our more popular channels, The Magicians. If you aren't caught up on The Magicians, check out Netflix. Season 1, 2, 3 are on there. And then you can follow along with our podcast. And we have interviews with Arjun Gupta, who plays Penny, and Jade Taylor, who plays Katie. Really great episodes. And this podcast is one of our favorites. Oh, it's an awesome series to check out. We have a great time covering it. And you have enough time to get caught up and to learn what you're missing with all the fun behind the scenes CKC coverage. And if you can't get enough of us, check out our Patreon. Go to coffeeclatchcrew.com. Click on Patreon. We have three podcasts per month. We have the coffee break episode, we have the bonus episode, and we have the movie review. So if you are afraid of spoilers, we will see you for future coverage. Everyone that's still here, just a couple of quick things. We heard about the faith-based dimensional engineering that the UX were doing. Slightly different as it is centered around this spiritual aspect. However, dimensional engineering as a concept is certainly not new to us. The technology of creating dimensionally transcendental objects which the fourth doctor called a key Time Lord discovery, was used to make the TARDIS bigger on the inside. And it's said to be beyond human comprehension. Other than the Time Lords, the Daleks also possess this ability. The doctor mentions here the TARDIS regressing a slitheen back to an egg, which is a callback to the episode Boomtown, and towing the Earth halfway across the universe, a callback to Journey's End. She says she previously met someone else who stole and miniaturized planets. That's from the pirate planet. And just a fun fact, the doctor thinks she half-invented wellies, <laughs> and she loves it. That's fantastic. We've mentioned a couple times our holiday special, which will be a New Year's special this year, but we finally got a little bit of information. It's going to be called Resolution, written by Chris Chibnall and directed by Wayne Yip. Oh, so clever. New Year's Resolution. <laughs> you got it. And Wayne Yip has in the past done The Lie of the Land and Empress of Mars. The rather brief synopsis that we heard last time, as the new year begins, a terrifying evil is stirring from across the centuries of Earth's history. As the TARDIS team returns home, 
Will they be able to overcome the threat to planet Earth? The new info, though. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's rumored to include the Daleks, which will return with a new design, losing the bronze they have featured since the 2005 reboot. Oh, boy. Please, please give me Daleks. <laughs> if they would have done this a long time ago, I'd be happy. Also, another thing to note is that season 11 is said to be coming to us in 2020. Mm, a long wait. Now, I don't know if that means like the 2nd of January or later in 2020, which makes a big difference. We also know that it is believed that after this season, meaning the season 12, that we might get a new doctor and a new writer. Yeah, that is unknown. The reason people are saying that is because Jodie Whittaker has officially signed on through that season, but we'll keep our ear out for news. And if we hear anything, we'll do brief periodic updates. So as we close this chapter, keep the CKC family in your heart and in your mind. And remember, we do The Magicians, Mr. Robot, Game of Thrones. And Westworld. A lot of fun coming up, especially with the final season of Game of Thrones. A little wait still for that, but it's going to be great podcast territory. And also a reminder, it is the holidays. So if you're looking for something themed around that, this month's December bonus, which will be coming out soon, is about the history of the holidays and Christmas. Where do our traditions come from? We learned a lot. That was a ton of fun. And we're going to have a holiday themed movie review coming at you soon. Thank you to our longtime sponsor, Songfinch.com, for helping the podcast out for so long and for helping our listeners out by getting them $20 off their personalized song from scratch. Clatchers, you need to take advantage of this. Stop giving the same old gifts for special occasions. Win back the holidays and become a gift-giving champion with Songfinch. You don't know what to get that special somebody. You need something unique. You feel like they have everything or you've gotten them everything. Well, you haven't. With a personalized song with memories, stories, and a professional song behind it, this year is your year to give the best gift. And our listeners can get $20 off your personalized song from scratch by going to songfinch.com and using the promo code CLATCHERS. So that's songfinch.com, promo code CLATCHERS, for $20 off your personalized song from scratch. You can support us by supporting them. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.